This week on Mouse Flicks, we play catch up, there's an itty bitty show related trip report, and it's Halloween time, straight out of Anaheim, son. So silence your cell phones and settle in. You're listening to episode 12 of the Mouse Flicks podcast. Mouse Flicks is a fan-produced podcast dedicated to Disney film and entertainment. Lend us your ears for news, reviews, and commentary on the film House of Mouse. Mouse Flicks is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Company, Walt Disney Pictures, Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, or their partners and subsidiaries. All opinions expressed via Mouseflix Media are solely those of the podcasters and do not represent the views of any other individual or entity. Enjoy the show. Hello, hello. Welcome to Mouseflix. I'm Kristen DiBiase. We are back. My very patient and understanding husband and I spent several days at Disneyland for our anniversary and had an amazing time. The highlight of the trip, riding Pirates of the Caribbean, which, if any of you have gone to the Disney parks in both California and Florida, know, is totally better at Disneyland. And then having dinner at the Blue Bayou restaurant, which is actually inside one of the areas of the ride. So, let's talk Mickey and the movies. Oh, let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. It's time for News Nibbles. Two-week hiatus? This ought to be a mouthful. Info is in the show notes, which you can find on the website at www.mouseflakes.com. A voice cast list has been released for the movie Zootopia. There are lots of names you'll recognize as character voices for the film. Too many to list here. So check out the link on the website for more details. Bob Iger believes that digital app services are the future of Disney TV and movie entertainment, and it appears that Disney is taking steps in that direction across the pond. Next month, Disney is launching an online subscription streaming service in the UK called Disney Life, which will offer movies, TV shows, books, and music. The service will include Disney classics like Snow White and Lady and the Tramp, as well as the entire Pixar catalog, but will not include Lucasfilm or Marvel properties. Disney Life will cost $9.99, a little over $15 in U.S. dollars, and Disney has plans for a rollout across Europe over the next year. Currently, there are no plans to do something similar in the U.S., but Iger says the platform is scalable to U.S. and other Disney brands. So, to recap, hashtag Cheerio, hashtag streaming, hashtag that Disney Life, though. What the hell is this about? Looks like everyone is getting a treat besides us here in the U.S. It appears that for quite a while, the Force won't be awakening online anywhere on the planet Earth except for Canada. The Canadians usually get hosed when it comes to the movies they have on Netflix, however, so I guess they're due to get something positive. Netflix has confirmed that only Canada has the rights to stream Star Wars Episode 7 in 2016. Here in the U.S., anything that comes out in 2015 is still under an exclusive pay TV contract between Disney and... Stars? For real? How did that happen? Okay, then. But don't worry. You still have more than a year to figure out how to, uh, force your way in. 
So how does that work exactly? Um, is this anything like when I was a kid and my next door neighbors were stealing our cable? As I've reported before, Disney's back in the theme park attraction slash remake game, and the latest news is about the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. Disney took a look at screenwriter John August's story treatment and liked what they saw, and now the popular ride is being developed into a screenplay, again. Most people won't remember it, but Disney already made a movie based on the Tower of Terror, albeit a TV movie. Steve Gutenberg and Kirsten Dunst were in it, so I guess there's that. The ride's currently themed around the TV series The Twilight Zone, a connection that probably won't become part of the full-length feature film. To put this together, Disney is choosing some familiar faces from its talent pool. August has worked with Tim Burton and was involved with Frank and Weenie, and Jim Whitaker, who's worked with Disney on The Odd Life of Timothy Green and the upcoming remake of Pete's Dragon, has been tapped to produce. The plunging elevator in the hotel lends itself to a haunted house style of film, but it'll be interesting to see what direction Disney takes with this film. Will it be kitty scary or people out of elementary school scary? Time will tell. Diz better have my money. At least that's what Kiara Muhammad is saying in her breach of contract lawsuit against the mouse. Muhammad is the voice behind Doc McStuffins, and she's alleging that Disney hasn't paid her the money she's owed under her merchandising deal with the company, and also hasn't paid it on time. Disney has yet to respond to the lawsuit. The pop star-studded Disney cover album, We Love Disney, drops this week on October 30th. The compilation features covers and reimaginings of hit Disney songs by some of the hottest music artists out right now. You're either going to think this is cool, or you're going to be all, ugh, whose crappy idea was this? For a full list of the songs and artists, check out a link in the show notes. But for now, here's a little bit of Fallout Boy's cover of the Jungle Book song, I Wanna Be Like You. Because why, God, why? Whoops. Uh, I guess you know what category I'm in. Never mind that The Force Awakens presale sold all of the tickets to all of the Americans and broke both records and the movie ticket interwebs everywhere. Disney's got bigger fish to fry. Fact. China brings in a huge chunk of overseas revenue for every movie that comes out of the U.S., but unlike basically every other country on the planet, one thing they don't have a ton of is familiarity with Star Wars. So the bigwigs over here decided it was time to get all imperial on the People's Republic. And so, the latest trailer for Episode 7 was projected onto the Great Wall of China. Literally. Like, on the actual wall. Like it was a big old Chinese drive-in. After that, an army of 500 stormtroopers marched across the wall. Check out the show notes for photos. And that, friends, is that. And now, our feature presentation. The audience is now deaf. It's October, y'all! Halloween is one of my favorite holidays. Who doesn't like costumes, hayrides, candy, and pumpkin spice everything? 
October also happens to be my favorite time to tour the Disney parks. It's the off-season, so things there are much less crowded and hectic, and the resorts are decked out in fall fanfare. But what I like best about that time is how Disney takes advantage of the festive, spooky fun by highlighting its three best Halloween films and keeping them alive in the parks. Hocus Pocus, The Nightmare Before Christmas, and The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Hocus Pocus came out in 1993 and focuses on three witches who are on a quest for eternal youth that can only be achieved by sucking out children's souls. The film starred Bette Midler, Kathy Najimy, and Sarah Jessica Parker as the evil Sanderson sisters, Winnie, Mary, and Sarah. The movie never gets old. Surprisingly, that pun was not intended. After being executed 300 years prior for practicing dark witchcraft, the three sisters are summoned back from the dead into a world that is very different than the one they left. It's fun watching them try to figure out modern conveniences. I don't think anyone who's seen it will ever forget the flying vacuum. Many fans, the actresses themselves, and director Kenny Ortega want this movie to have a sequel, and others think it should be remade, but I disagree. There are some things that work so well on their own that it just cheapens them to tack on unnecessary follow-up films or take something that's great and do it all over again just because. The movie's held up for all these years and is a constant for Halloween fans and Disney fans alike. Why mess with it? I think Disney's already gone their best route with that particular film by maximizing its popularity through the Magic Kingdom. This year was the debut of the Hocus Pocus Villain Spelltacular at the Magic Kingdom's Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, and I think it hits several birds with one stone. First, creating a review around the Sanderson sisters exposes a younger generation of Disney fans who've never experienced Hocus Pocus before. After seeing the Spelltacular, there are park-goers who are going to likely want to see this movie for the first time. Second, this gives the Florida parks a little more oomph in the Halloween season. When you compare the two resorts, I think Disneyland has Walt Disney World beaten hands down when it comes to Halloween themes and activities. Both parks have a hard ticket party with special fireworks and trick-or-treating, but Halloween time at Disneyland extends past just a special after-hours event. The Zocalo Park area has a Dia de los Muertos celebration, it's my guess that that celebration will probably be expanded in the future due to a tie-in with the upcoming movie Coco, which is all about the Mexican culture surrounding the Day of the Dead. Disney will release that film in November 2017. Another big difference in Disneyland is that the Halloween feel is wholly incorporated into attractions, in particular Space Mountain, which goes intergalactically ghastly with a ghost galaxy retheme. We loved it and the Haunted Mansion Holiday, which transforms the mansion into a completely new experience, featuring the characters from Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. 1993 was a good year for Disney and Halloween. The same year that Hocus Pocus came out, so did The Nightmare Before Christmas. In the movie, Jack Skellington, the pumpkin king of Halloween Town, is bored with successfully pulling off Amazing Halloween after Amazing Halloween every year. Then he discovers Christmas Town and thinks he's up for a new challenge of recreating the holiday himself. Spoiler alert, not exactly. In the process, he kidnaps Santa, thoroughly scares the crap out of the general populace, and falls in love. Haunted Mansion Holiday is one of the most popular attractions in Disneyland, even though it's only open seasonally. And when we were there, that was definitely reflected in the line to get on the ride. 
We always use a touring plan when we go to the Disney parks, so we tend to not have to wait for very long in line. I highly recommend using those, by the way. If you want to know more about them, send me a message. But by the end of the day, other people were standing in line for Haunted Mansion Holiday for more than two hours. This movie has a cult following, and there's a little bit of irony in that knowledge. Back when the movie was initially released, Disney liked the idea, but didn't want its fingerprints seen on anything that had to do with it. At that time, there was less of a willingness to associate the Disney brand with anything left of wholesome. They'd been bitten before with the Black Cauldron, and thought that The Nightmare Before Christmas was too dark to come out bearing the flagship mantle. So instead, the film was originally released through the Disney subsidiary Touchstone Pictures. Over the years, as The Nightmare continued to grow in popularity, Disney finally embraced it. Jack and Sally have been popular and part of Halloween at Disneyland for quite a while, but nowadays you can find a decent amount of Nightmare-themed merch in both parks, and in Florida, the pair themselves showed up at Mickey's Not-So-Scary for the first time in 2013, the 20th anniversary of the film's release. Expanding their presence in the parks during the holiday will likely be as good as the mouse's top brass can get, however, and I'm glad. Tim Burton is staunchly against any sequels being made, even though Disney would do it in a heartbeat if they could. He recognizes his creation as the self-contained, standalone film that it should be. He's a quirky guy. It's a quirky film. It has a quirky fandom, and that fandom is full of purists. Disclaimer, I'm one of them. The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad is my all-time favorite Halloween-themed Disney film. It's only about 70 minutes long total, but it's one of the earliest Disney animated movies I can remember, and it's a classic. It scared the crap out of me, and I loved it. How can anyone not think this pair of shorts is anything less than awesome? To this day, there's a special place in my heart for Mr. Toad, who still has an attraction at Disneyland. Mr. Toad's half of the film is based on The Wind in the Willows, and narrated by Basil Rathbone, who classic movie and television buffs know as the definitive Sherlock Holmes throughout the 1940s. And the narrator for The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is none other than Bing Crosby, who also sings. I love Sleepy Hollow so much. You've got gangly Ichabod, the new schoolmaster who seems to be perpetually rail thin, even though he's a food moocher with the biggest appetite in town, in a romantic rivalry with Brom Bones, the local tough guy. When Beauty and the Beast first came out, Gaston actually reminded me of Brom. In the fight to charm the prettiest girl in town, Katrina, Brom keeps losing out to Ichabod at every turn until he discovers Ichabod is very superstitious. The frightening tale of the headless horseman inspires Brom to play a scary trick and get rid of his rival for good. And at the Magic Kingdom, the headless horseman sets the tone as a terrifying mascot to start the not-so-scary Halloween parade. Disney's great at Halloween and does a good job of working its most popular film properties into the parks. There's something spooky and magical about seeing them come to life. While we were at the Disneyland Resort, my very patient and understanding husband and I experienced the brand new Paint the Night Parade and Disneyland Forever Light and Fireworks show at Disneyland Park. As promised, while we were at Disney's California Adventure, we headed for a Bugs Land to take in the special sneak preview of The Good Dinosaur. We weren't permitted to record, so unfortunately I don't have any live audio. The preview was about 10 minutes long and included scenes we hadn't seen before on any of the trailers, 
including a little more footage of Arlo with his dad. We also saw additional scenes that show how Arlo and Spot's relationship develops, interactions between the young dino and the tyrannosaurs, and a Triceratops character. The special effects from the It's Tough to Be a Bug attraction that's usually shown in that theater were re-engineered to coordinate with the different portions of the preview. So we were splashed when Arlo fought the currents of the river, felt the wind in our faces, and felt animals run past us. The landscapes were beautiful, and the story looks very compelling. I'm really excited to see it when it comes out next month. We also sat down to enjoy the last time we'd ever see Aladdin, a musical spectacular, and it didn't disappoint. The house was packed, and the genie was the true star of the show. That role takes so much energy, timing, and quickness of mind. In the same mold that Robin Williams created when he voiced the character in the original film, the genie in the stage show was a wisecracking improvisational master. He slipped in pop culture references throughout the performance, and there were several points where he'd just riff line after line after line based on wordplay. The show was smart and funny, and it'll definitely be missed. If you're anywhere near Disneyland between now and January, try to see it before it gets replaced by Frozen. To be fair, Aladdin was on its way out regardless. I was able to chat with a cast member, and she told us that although Aladdin was already set to be replaced, Frozen wasn't even on the short list of shows to be put in the theater. Then suddenly, it just completely bypasses all of the other contenders, again with the Frozen effect. That evening, we gathered in a special viewing spot to watch World of Color, California Adventures headliner nighttime show. The special edition of World of Color is a 60th anniversary tribute show that's supposed to be focused on Walt Disney and his legacy. As we watched, it featured characters and scenes of numerous animated films throughout the show, typically for no more than 5 to 10 seconds each. It would have been absolutely appropriate to have Frozen included in the mix. But no. Instead, they had a completely separate Frozen chunk in it that showed almost the entirety of Let It Go. The segment stuck out like a sore thumb among the rest of the show and seemed very shoehorned in. I was not a fan. Let the record show that I do not hate Frozen in and of itself. I hate how it's completely taken over everything. But that's the story we've all heard time and again from many, many other people besides me. And I don't think I can really add anything new, so I won't. And that's a wrap. Mouseflix is a production of Mouseflix Media and is produced by me, Kristen DiBiase. The Mouseflix podcast theme features music by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com. To all of you out there in the world or the land, thanks for listening. If you like what we're doing, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. Tell your friends, yell it from the rooftops, and most importantly, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Comments, questions, or suggestions? Email us at mouseflix at gmail.com. Find us on the web at www.mouseflix.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mouseflix. And tweet us at mouseflixcast on Twitter. We'll talk to you soon, and remember, popcorn's always better with a little pixie dust.
So one of the mornings, Jason and I are at the Storytellers Cafe, which is right there in the Grand California Hotel. And we're there for the critter breakfast with Chip and Dale in the morning. So they have the characters come out periodically and get pictures with the kids and the families and you're interacting with them having a good time. So Br'er Bear comes out and Jason has no idea who he is. So after we take the photo, he goes to put it on Facebook and he says, it's Kristen with Pimp Bear. <laughs> so my friends are like, what? Don't you know who that is? And he said, well, no, I didn't know. And we're like, duh, it's Br'er Bear, duh. The guy from, you know, Song of the South, AKA racially insensitive bear. It was the funniest thing ever.